Good morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. And we do welcome you back to the conclusion of our Bad Advice series. Uh, if you've been with us the last number of weeks, we'll, we'll kind of just remind you about where we've been. If you've not been with us or maybe you've missed a couple here or there, we'll kind of catch you up to speed as well and, and refresh your memory. Bad advice. You see, the way that you and I live it really determines what we believe. It, 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 our, our beliefs impact our behavior. And many times, those beliefs and, and that behavior follows some not-so-good advice. Certainly, uh, on our own, we can make some not-so-good advice and, and uh, some not-so-good decisions. Certainly, as well, we've talked about the enemy who desires to steal and to kill and to destroy. Uh, Jesus was speaking about the enemy, Satan, the devil. There's, there's certainly a, a lot of things that are out there uh, in the world that would seek to give bad advice and offer bad advice for us. But we've looked at a number of topics that many of us and, and many in the world have followed bad advice on. So we began our series and our study looking at individuals who unfortunately would drift from God. And instead, what we looked at was God's advice, good advice from the Word of God, the Bible, on how we can grow, how we can strengthen our relationship with God. As well, we took a look at marriages and relationships, and we looked at the fact bad advice says, here's how to destroy a marriage, and yet we looked at God's word and God's advice on how can we strengthen a marriage and a relationship. What are some principles from the word of God? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at becoming an addict and when we, when we say and hear that word addict, we typically think about a drug addict or someone with an alcohol addiction, but we also uncovered not just those types of things, but that there are other items, other things that we allow to creep into our lives, and they come between us and God. In a sense, it might be a form of a, a biblical idol, not an image of gold, not an image of stone, but someone or something that we've allowed to creep into our lives that is first and foremost in our life as opposed to God. And so there are so many things that have creeped in, and we've discovered then how we can eliminate those things and again grow in God. And then last week, we took a look at, well, how can you be dissatisfied? And instead, we looked at good news and God's word on how to live content. So we, we've covered a number of different topics. This morning, we're, we're looking at a fun topic. Well, we say fun. It's, it's that fun, not so fun. It's that fun topic that we like to have, but we don't always like to hear about. It's that topic called money. When it comes to money, when it comes to finances, how many of you know that we have heard some bad advice or made some bad decisions? Let's, let's just see. If you have ever made a not-so-good decision when it comes to your money or your finances, would you raise your hand? If your hand's not up, you just lied. I mean, let's just be honest. We have all done some pretty dumb stuff. We've made some bad decisions when it comes to our, our finances and our resources. And so bad advice, again, what we've done, we, we take a, a look, brief look at bad advice, what maybe the, the world would say or what we might follow after, and we, we run down some things that are bad advice. Heads up, those are things we don't want to do, but many times we do follow. 
Then we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at God's good advice. But here's the thing. When we talk about bad advice, this morning we're looking at finances and money, but we're looking at how to go into debt. That's the title, how to go into debt. So some of you are thinking, man, I don't need to sit through this, Pastor Mark. I'm there. You might be there. Or you might have written the book on going into debt. So what we're going to see is it's a pretty universal truth, debt and struggle in finances. In fact, a recent study indicated half of the United States is concerned, anxious, or fearful about their current financial well-being. I would submit to you that that study sounds rather low. Only half of those surveyed said they were concerned, anxious, or fearful. A 2017 MarketWatch report found that half of the United States households live paycheck to paycheck. And those probably are the exact same half of individuals who are anxious, concerned, and nervous. Again, I might submit that those numbers, based on some kind of study or survey, might be a little low. What's interesting, though, is that in this study, only about 20% of the individuals who were facing financial hardship fall below the so-called poverty line. Only 20% fall below that. Now, in our minds, we think, okay, if you don't have any money or if you don't have too much money, if you're below maybe a poverty line, a poverty level, then certainly you're going to be nervous, anxious, concerned, living paycheck to paycheck. What this study found was that only 20% of the individuals living paycheck to paycheck were individuals or households below the poverty line, which means 80% of the individuals and families and households struggling were above the poverty line. didn't mean they were rich or wealthy or millionaires, but they were above the so-called poverty line. Now, I'm going to give some more statistics. These are based on 2017 numbers. These are fresh just within the last few months. This might either discourage you or encourage you, depending on where you end up here. So among... United States individuals who have debt, if you have credit card debt, the average household credit card debt is over $15,000. Some of you just breathed a sigh of relief. You said, I'm better than average. Others of you, you're about to cry because you might see how above average you are. The average amongst U.S. households who have auto loans Amongst all those who have auto loans based on the end of 2017, the average auto loan is over $27,000. Those with student loans. If you are working to pay off student loans and you've got student loans, it might be something you've just graduated or you might have student loans from years ago or decades ago. The average household with student loan is over $47,000. That's not to mention individuals who own a home or are trying to own a home and have a mortgage. If you have a mortgage, the average U.S. household mortgage debt is over $178,000. So mortgage debt or auto loan debt or credit card debt or student loan debt or medical bill debt, all kinds of debt, and we can see... There's nervousness, 
There's tension, there's friction when it comes to finances. The Gallup report says that two-thirds of all couples argue over money, and money is now the number one reason, the number one cause for divorce. You know, in the, uh, in the wedding, the couples typically will quote, till death do us part. It, it seems to be changing. It's now till debt do us part. Finances, two-thirds of couples argue and have troubles of finances. It's the number one cause of divorce. So you look at all of the, uh, the statistics, many of which, you know, if we were to look at a congregation this size and we would say, wow, look at these statistics, that means a tremendous number of people in this room would be anxious, nervous, fearful about their financial well-being. That would mean that a tremendous percentage of individuals and households would live paycheck to paycheck with incredible debt and incredible friction when it comes to finances. That's just honest where we're at in society. True? Yeah. So you can say true and just, you know, anytime you say amen, we'll just understand you're amening because someone else in here needs that. Wink, wink. So, so amen really strong and just mean it for somebody else on the other side, Okay. So we're going to give you some bad advice. I, I know as soon as I mention the topic, as soon as we start mentioning some of these, uh, uh, these statistics, some of you are thinking, I don't need any help to get into debt. But just in case you did, in case you wanted some pointers on how to go way into debt, we're going to give you five quick ways to go into debt. Number one, avoid accounting. Now, I don't mean that area or that department down the hall, the accountants. I don't mean that department that, that keeps track of figures in your business or in your organization. I'm talking about don't bother keeping track of any of your numbers, any of your finances. Just avoid it altogether. Make sure you have no clue what comes in and make sure you have no clue what goes out or where or when. If you do that, unfortunately, you're well on your way to going into debt. Number two, how do you get into debt? Bypass budgeting. Just overlook it. Another statistic and another poll shows that 68% of Americans don't have an actual household budget. Seven out of 10 have no budget. So here's my encouragement. You want to be in the majority, right? You want to do what everyone else is doing, so avoid the budget. That's going to help you be well on your way to going into debt. Don't have a written plan. Don't know where your money's going. Instead, here's my encouragement, just wake up and wonder where it went. So avoid accounting, bypass budgeting. Number three, reject God. I mean, you certainly don't want to seek God's wisdom on money and finances, he, he probably wouldn't have any clue about you. It's not as if he created you or anything. It's not as if he knit you in your mother's womb and fashioned and formed everything about you. He probably has no idea what you're going through. So reject him in his word. Don't follow or obey what God's word has to say about finances or money. Instead, follow your broke cousin. Follow your broke uncle. Follow your broke coworker. 
I'm sure they've got the plans, they've got the ideas, they've got the stock and investing tips for you. So reject God and follow everybody else who's got a plan to follow. I mean, trust God with your soul. Trust Him for eternity. You know, ask Him to cleanse you. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to give you a brand new start from your sins and and make sure that He will keep you in heaven with Him. But don't ask Him to help you with anything such as finances. It's so important for the here and now. Trust Him with eternity, but just don't bother asking Him about your money now. Don't give as God's word teaches. I mean, if you're struggling to make it on your 100%, there's no way you're going to make it on 90% and, and give and return a tithe back to the Lord. So you know what? If you want to go into debt, reject God, reject his word. Now, you're catching the drift that all of these are rather sarcastic and facetious, and it's kind of hard to do, but I'm doing my best to preach it hard, but it's bad advice. We don't follow this. So avoid accounting, bypass budgeting, reject God. Number four, skip saving. If you want to go big time into debt, make sure you have no savings. 70% of individuals have no long-term financial plans. They have no plans for savings. They have no no plans for investment goals for the future. 70%. Again, be in the majority and just live for the now. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about the fact that your kids might need to go to college. Don't worry about the fact that you might retire at some point. Don't worry about the fact that you might need something to live on later. Just plan for the now. Spend all the money you have, and then here's a good goal. Spend some more. You don't need savings. You don't need emergency funds. I mean, listen, it's not like anything's ever going to go wrong. Your car is never going to break down or need repaired. Your home's never going to need any repair done to it. Your apartment's never going to have anything go bad. No appliances are ever going to need to be purchased. I mean, they'll last forever. We know nobody ever gets sick and has medical bills. Just don't worry about saving because you'll never, ever need it. All right. Finally, if you want to go into debt, covet more. We spent a lot of time on this last week as far as being dissatisfied versus being content. But if you want to really go into debt, covet. Want more and more and more and more stuff than you currently have. Do your very best. You know, the phrase says, keeping up with the Joneses. Well, you might not have any Joneses who live around you, but keep up with that family member. Keep up with that neighbor. Keep up with that coworker, and make sure whatever they have, you buy two of, or you get a newer and a nicer one. Do your best to compete. All right. Facetious, sarcastic, opposite, whatever you want to call it, those five things, like it or not, if we follow them, It's a guarantee we will be in financial ruin. If we follow those five things, it's a guarantee for financial disaster. Let me put it to you this way. Do you know that the Bible says that God measures our spiritual maturity by how we handle and oversee our finances and our resources? That God measures and evaluates how much he's able to trust us with spiritual blessings based on how we handle and oversee the finances and resources we have. Here's what Jesus says in 
Luke chapter 16, verse 11. And this is always the, the challenging thing because we go to the Word of God. The Bible says a lot about finances and resources and money. Jesus spoke about that. And it's a topic that we all desperately need help in. But if a preacher preaches on it, oh, he's talking about money again. And if you never preach on it, you're missing out on God's word, God's teaching, God's principles, God's plan, and help for where you're at. This morning, we're going to give you some help for where you're at. But here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, verse 11. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now, we don't, we don't like to see that. We don't like to hear that. This, this, this isn't Pastor Mark's quote. If you look it up in your Bible, you're going to find, in most of your Bibles, it's going to be in red letters. That means that Jesus said it. If you're not trustworthy, if you're not able to effectively handle worldly wealth, finances, and resources, who's going to trust you with real riches, the spiritual things, the spiritual blessings? We're not talking about further things. See, how we manage our money impacts and influences how we are to be trusted with the spiritual blessings from God. In other words, how we handle our finances has eternal implications. It's a pretty big deal. So again, God's word has a lot to say. We're certainly not going to cover everything this morning, but we're going to focus a lot on the book of Proverbs. The wisest man, the richest man in the word of God were one and the same, King Solomon. And he had a lot to write and a lot to say, God-given principles about finances in a book called Proverbs in the Old Testament. These are some principles of, in a sense, as we package them together, we'll see a little bit of a plan, a little bit of a purpose on how we can get out of debt. We tend to not need any help going into debt. We don't even need those five things we just covered, but we tend to do those pretty well on our own. How do you get out of debt? That's what we're going to be looking at, the balance of our time this morning. Biblical, from God's word, principles on how to get out of debt. So many people are nervous, worried, scared about finances, can't make ends meet, living paycheck to paycheck. God's word gives some advice on what to do. Number one, keep good records. Keep good records. We've got to know where our money comes from, and we've got to know where our money goes. Here's what Proverbs 27, verses 23 and 24. Many of these, as we read, we're going to be taking uh, many of these from the Living Bible or from the Good News version or translation. It gives a little bit of a, a different twist on some of the, uh, the wording or phrasing as we take a look. The Living Bible puts it this way, riches can disappear fast, so watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. Flocks and herds. Not everybody in today's culture has flocks and herds. In biblical days, that's what most everybody had. It, it was their resources. So if Solomon were writing it today, he might say, pay careful attention to your bank accounts. Checking and savings. Pay careful attention to any investments you might have, stocks or bonds or anything you might have in, in retirement and 401ks or any of those kinds of things. Pay careful attention to uh, the things that you own. Pay careful attention to the things that you owe. 
We've all heard the phrase, money talks. How many of you have really ever heard money talk? Money doesn't really talk. It tends to kind of slip away and sneak away quietly without word. And if we don't know where our money is going, the chances are good that we would head into, or in fact, maybe be already into debt. Real quick, here's four things we've got to know when it comes to records and accounting. We've got to know what we own. What kind of stuff do you have? What is yours? What do you own? What kind of accounts or, or banking or finances or resources do you own or rent? What do you own? Get a good grasp on that. Number two, what do you owe? What debts do you have? What bills do you pay on a regular basis? Are you, are you renting or are you owning? What kind of uh, utilities are you paying? What kind of credit card debt might you have? Some of those things we talked about, medical expenses or car payments or mortgages or uh, whatever kind of loans. What do you own? What do you owe? Thirdly, what do you earn? What kind of money is coming in? Is that coming in weekly, every other week, every month, multiple sources, it's important to kind of know what's coming in. And then number four, you need to know where it goes. What kind of bills do you pay? Who are you paying? How much is that? We've got to have some kind of records, an idea of where it's going. So the first step, if you're wanting to get out of debt, you've got to start with some good records and track it to the dollar, track it to the penny. Because here's what most of us do, and I speak from experience we wing it. 70% of people, according to the survey, said what? No plan, no budget for their resources. So what we say is, I got this. And we say, I got this as we're in debt up to here. Let me just put it to you like this. I did pretty well in school. Math was a strong suit for me. I excelled I did well in my classes. I, I received awards and honors for academics, both in high school and in college. And I started out ministry as a, a single youth pastor. No plan, no budget. I had nothing written down. Here's what I knew. I had a bank account. And as long as that didn't hit zero, I pretty much thought I was good. Met Kim. Well, now we got some kind of two incomes coming in, but more expenses going out. Same type of thing. First five or six years of marriage, zero written plan, zero written down. My plan was up here, all in the head. I got it under control. As long as we don't hit zero in our bank account or checking account, we must be doing okay. How many of you know that there's ways to do things and buy things and get things that don't affect anything coming out of your checking account? These small little rectangle pieces of plastic, you just got to swipe them. You can do it with your phones today. We couldn't do that back then. You can buy all kinds of stuff, and it doesn't need to come out of your bank account. So we had no written plan. Five or six years into marriage, we found out we're going to be parents. We're going to bring a new little one into the world. That would, of course, become Autumn Rose. In 2006. So 2005, early 2006, we're in debt. We're in debt to our credit cards because, you know, we didn't have much written down on paper, but we'd, had, we'd even had some financial help getting into our first home because we thought we figured we could make it, get a, get a first home instead of an apartment. So, you know, you got to buy some brand new furniture to go in that home because what we had didn't fit. 
didn't match. And now that we had our own home and we were not in an apartment with rules, now we could get our own doggy. Couldn't have a doggy in the apartment. We could have a dog in our own home. It's our home. So we bought brand new furniture. How did we buy it? That rectangular piece of plastic. Got a dog and all the stuff to go with the dog. He was cute. How did we buy him? Rectangular piece of plastic. And Kim had some physical issues and and struggles and challenges and began working less and less and less, which means we didn't have as much coming in as we were imagining. Had more medical bills, so more going out and out and out. So credit card expenses rose. Thousands of dollars on credit card. But we had to get ready, and and we knew at some point we were were going to have kids, and at that time, Kimmy still had the the Mustang, and I had had my vehicle. We, We kept the Mustang at that point, traded my vehicle in, Got an SUV. Uh, didn't pay cash for that. I mean, put that on a home equity line of credit. So we owed thousands on a vehicle. We owed thousands on a credit card. Oh, and by the way, you got a baby coming. Those are free, right? It was then that we began this process, and we began to track our expenses. Keep records. How did we start? Real high tech. We got a piece of paper. We got a pen made some columns. When we got paid, we put it in the income line. When we spent money, we put it in the expense line. Every dollar, every penny. So that meant things such as our mortgage, because by now we were in a second home, and that second home was more expensive than the first home. So whether it was mortgage or utilities, we put that in the line. Bought something on the credit card or cash, we put in the expenses. If Kim bought a 50-cent pop from work, we'd write it down. See, here's what happens. We don't keep good records. So that 50-cent pop every day of the work day during the week, that's $250 a week over a year. That's over 100 bucks. You have no clue where it went. I know, not everybody does a pop. Some of you might do a, a dollar, or $2, $3, $4 coffee, $5 coffee. See, a $5 coffee five days a week is $25 over the course of a year, he has over $1,000 of coffees not accounted for. So we wrote it all down. Her 50 cent pops, my $1.29 cappuccinos. We write it down. What happens is when you start keeping good records, you know what you own, what you owe, what you earn, and where it goes. And all of those things typically make you say, whoa, or ow. You're probably surprised because we're not having an understanding. Proverbs says to keep track of things, and yet we don't do that. If we're wanting to get out of debt, we've got to keep good records. So here's here's a homework assignment for you. It's not school. It's not college, but here's your homework assignment. If you're part of the majority, if you're part of the 70%, starting today, go home and start keeping track of things. If you don't have a pen and a paper, you can steal one of our Aldra AG pens, make your way through the office, we'll open up the copier and we'll give you some blank sheets of paper and you have got your accounting process free and paid for. We'll do it. Chances are you've probably got a pen and paper. And start keeping track. What comes in and what goes out. Every dollar, every penny. You say, I don't want to do that. That's boring. That's dumb. That's no fun. You're right. Being in debt is no fun. So start knowing where things are going. Now, 
Yes, there's other ways. We have not continued the pen and paper. We, we do a thing, a computer program called Microsoft Money. We've been doing that now since 2006. It's an old program. I'm not even sure if they make it anymore. It still works on our laptop. And we put in everything, every single thing. We, we've, we're going to get to budget next, but we've got a budget expense amount for Shadow's dog food. We know if he's eating too much. <laughs> we keep good records. Started with paper. Now we've got computer program. You know what? There's apps you can put on a tablet. You can put on a smartphone. Just go to the app store, type in personal finance. You'll find a host of them, many of which are free. Mint, I believe, is a free one. Dave Ramsey, who's a, a Christian who teaches a lot about personal finance, has a free one called Every Dollar. Type in Dave Ramsey, Every Dollar app. It's free. Now you can get a, the bonus version and pay for that. But he gives you a brand new free version on your phone, on your tablet. It just keeps track of your resources. That's homework assignment number one. We've got to keep good records. Second, we've got to plan our spending. Plan it out. It's this thing called a budget. A budget is simply planned spending. It's telling your money where to go instead of wondering, huh, where did it go? If you don't have a budget, and again, about seven out of 10 of you will not, 68% of those surveyed said there's no budget, there's no plan, they just wing it. If that's you, unfortunately, you're headed for disaster. We were. Here I am. I'm in the ministry. I'm serving God. I, I've got honors and awards for academics and mathematics. Wasn't keeping any records. Didn't have any plan. So we changed that. First, we, we had to start keeping track. We had to figure out where was money coming from, how much did we have, and where was money going, how much was that. Once we did that, I guarantee you, if you do it, you'll have the same result. You'll be surprised. You'll be a little pained. You'll be a little discouraged. You'll be a little disappointed, but you'll get over it because now you've got an idea. Here's where our money's going, and now you can begin to prioritize and cut and emphasize certain areas. We started doing that. We put a plan in place, a budget in place. We must plan our spending, our saving, our giving, there's got to be some kind of a plan. Most of us don't have a plan. Life happens, and you pull out your wallet or checkbook or those rectangular pieces of plastic, and we swipe and we insert, and we say, we'll figure about how to pay for it later. We don't have a plan. Here's what God's Word has to say. This is from the Good News Version. It says, plan carefully, Proverbs 21.5, plan carefully and you will have enough. If you act too quickly... You'll never have enough. God's word says if you plan, if you've got some kind of plan in place, you will be able to have enough. Your plan will be able to take care of things. But if you act quickly, if you act on impulse, you won't have enough. Understand this. Financial security, financial freedom is not based on how much you make. It's really based on how much you spend. It's a 2017 survey as I looked at this, just the end of last year, and they found that over 75% of United States workers that they surveyed struggled to make ends meet. Three out of four can't pay the bills. Here's what's interesting. Of those people who struggled, about 30% make between $50,000 and $100,000 a year. 
and another 10% make over $100,000. Now, we think, okay, if someone doesn't really make too much money or, or, or not a whole lot of money and whatever, you know, your definition of not too much is relative to the other person, but here's the idea. Four out of 10 people who are struggling make $50,000 or more, which is well above the federal poverty line. So it's not based on how much we make. It's based on how much we spend. Everyone thinks, if I just made a little bit more, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be satisfied. Then we could pay our bills. And here's what happens. Somebody gets a a 50 cent an hour raise, and they celebrate, and they go out and buy a $25,000 vehicle. Or they get, a, they get a raise in their salary. They get a, you know, a $5,000 a year raise and they celebrate, let's go buy a brand new home. See, it's not based on what we make. We're always going to want more than we can buy. Someone put it this way, our yearnings will always exceed our earnings. What we want is always more than what we got. So the, the principle is this. If you can't make on what, if you can't survive on what you make now, you won't make it then. If you can't make it on this amount of money, whatever this is, you'll never make it on that amount of money, whatever that is. Play along. In your head, in your mind, play along. You fill in this with what you make now and put whatever number you want in that. If you can't get by with this, you're never going to get by with that. Because the more we have, the more we want, the more we spend, we've got to get our spending in line. Proverbs says, plan carefully. Have a plan and you will have enough. Financial freedom is about spending less, not about making more. Now, for a time period, if we need, is it helpful to maybe get an extra shift or or an extra day or earn some extra hours or maybe an extra job for a little extra boost in income and trying to pay off some debt and get, get caught up? Can that be helpful? Certainly. But the plan is not just, if I just made more, we'd be good. It really needs to be about, can we control, can we oversee, can we divide up what we are spending? Because here's Here's the reality. We live in a great nation, the United States of America, which is built on capitalism. Capitalism is built on advertising. What's advertising built on? Getting you to buy something right now. They tell you why you need it. They tell you why that product is so awesome. They tell you how your life is going to improve if you buy it. Drink this and you'll be surrounded by bikini-clad women. Spray this smelly stuff on you and, oh, you will be the hit of the party. Buy this brand new vehicle wrapped up with a bow. In fact, buy that $50,000 vehicle just for Christmas. One of many gifts. I mean, that's, that's what the culture says. Spend, spend, spend. You know one advertisement I've never seen? I've never seen an ad or a commercial that says this. We've got an awesome product. Here's what we want you to do. Think about us. Get your budget under control. Put us in your budget. Save up your money. And when you've got enough money saved up, would you consider coming back and buying us? Never heard that. Never seen that. What's the ad? Sale! If you don't buy now, you'll never get a better price. You'll never find a lower price. Buy, buy, buy. Oh, 
oh, it's all about the impulse. Gotta buy it now. Oh, if I don't buy it now, I'm gonna spend more money later. So we buy it now and later. Proverbs 21:20, and you might not like this one too much. This is that good news, a little bit different translation. It says, wise people live in wealth and luxury, but stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. That's interesting. Now, that good news version, good news translation, it's not our typical NIV, New Living, English Standard, New American Standard. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. In other words, there's no plan. Money comes in, and we say, I got money in my wallet. I don't know what to do with. Let me spend it over here. I'm going to look at my checkbook. It's above zero. I must be doing good. Let me buy this over here. Let me put it on the credit card and figure out how to pay for it later. How fast are we spending our money? Is there a plan? I confess to you that we were not tracking, and we did not have a plan, and we rectified that. We uncovered some areas that we were spending a lot more than we probably should have. Chances are good you'll find some of those areas too. And we put a plan down on paper and eventually onto the computer program and budgeted it out. Here's what's coming in. Let's spend that. In fact, let's try to spend less than that. And how are we going to do that? Well, if we put so much to this and so much to this and so much to this, we had been spending this much on this, but we can't afford all of that. Cuts sometimes need to be made. We don't like cuts. We want to spend more. Sometimes it's necessary. You know, one of the very first things, this was, this was a wise financial decision before maybe some not so wise ones. I indicated the, the single life and not tracking finances, not having a budget and meeting Kim and preparing for marriage. And two of us, you know, you go out shopping for wedding rings. I hadn't been married before, and Kim hadn't been married either. And we realized one thing. They don't give you a ring for being married. They want money for those rings. Did you know that? Wow. Do you know how much they, they charge for those little I mean, they're small. Do you know how much they charge for those things? So we found some rings that we liked, and, you know, they weren't the cheapest, but they were certainly not the most expensive ones. We thought, we want to have a, at least a, a nice ring that, that we can keep for our lives. Well, there's no way we'd be able to pay for those or afford those the way we were at. So a single guy, I cut my cable. <gasps> no ESPN, no sports center. Cut cable and put that amount of money every single month to pay off wedding rings. It's a matter of priority. Did I want to watch a, a ball game or did I want a ring symbolizing my undying love for my wife? I made some hard decisions and cut some things out so that financially, between the two of us, we could pay for our rings. We got married, stayed in that apartment, still with no cable, jumped into and, and launched into that first home, still with no cable. About the first year or two of marriage, I've told the story before, 9-11 is kind of what challenged us to actually get a little bit of cable and figure out what's going on in the world. We went a couple years with zero cable, saved money. That was one of the good decisions that we had done. So here's homework for you. 70% of you will not have a budget in this place. So sit down. After you've, you've tracked where your money has come from and kind of where you've been spending it, now you've got to portion it out. 
And you can't spend any more than what's coming in. In fact, you need to try to spend less than that. Make a list of your necessities. No, really, necessities. My cable wasn't the necessity. I needed a place to stay. I needed some utilities there. I needed some things to eat. Not extravagant things, but I needed some things to eat. And begin to portion those things out wisely. So we, we've got to have a, a plan after we keep good records and, and know what we've got to work with. Number three, return 10% back to God. It's the principle of tithing. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe, the tithe is a tenth, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. See, I had been extremely faithful in this area. Both Kim and I were faithful tithers but did not have records and did not have a written budget or plan. So what we're looking at this morning, if we're wanting to get out of debt, all of these things go together. Understand, everything we have comes from God. He's blessed us with health and strength and, and jobs and resources. The Bible teaches about a tenth, about a tithe that's asked to return back to him. Why a tithe? I don't know why the tenth. Could he have asked for 11% or 20% or 50%? It's a tithe. We return back a portion of how he's blessed us, 10%. Tithing demonstrates our gratitude we're reminded everything comes from God, and we're thankful for that. Every time we return back, every, every time we give to him that tithe, it shows our gratitude. It shows where our priorities are, that we've put him first in our life, and not just first in our heart, but first in our finances and our resources. They say, if you look at someone's financial accounts and you look at someone's calendar, you can see what's most important. How do you spend your money? How do you spend your time? Tithing and, and returning and giving back to God says, I'm not just saying that God's important, I'm, I'm demonstrating, I'm showing that. It's a statement of faith in God. Malachi says, test me, the Lord says. So this tithe, and sometimes we have maybe misconceptions or, or we've, we've sort of modified our thought about what the tithe is, Old Testament, New Testament, the, the teaching of a tithe is a tenth. So we don't say, I'm giving a tithe if I'm just kind of dropping a buck or two in. Unless you truly just made $10 that week, then $1 is a tithe. So many times people say, oh, I'm giving my tithe, and really they're saying, I gave something to God. Giving to God is good. The tithe, however, is 10%. Tithing also is not the giving to missions or ministries or charities. Those are good things too, hear me. We want to encourage you to give to missions. BGMC is great, but putting some money in a red bucket or a blue bucket is not the tithe. It, giving money in, in the offering to missions so that we can support our missionaries is great, that's not the tithe. Giving money towards the camp fund, and, and we received that last week, and you're able to give at any time in market camp fund, that's great. Be generous with that. But giving to that fund is not the tithe. Giving to the Red Cross, giving to any, any of these other great charities, that's excellent. But to say that we gave to camp or we gave to this or we gave to the Red Cross and I tithed, that's not it. 
The tithe is 10%. It's returned to the storehouse, the place of worship. The tithe as well is not given in our service. Sometimes the thought is, well, I really don't have any money to give, so I'll just, let me get involved in serving in the church. Serving is great. We need Bible school teachers and Sunday school teachers and and worship team members and and girls ministry leaders. We need people in a lot of different ways of service. Getting involved in Easter egg hunt or getting involved in this ministry or that outing or this event or that, whatever the case might be, those are great, but that's not the tithe. Malachi says, here's what God says. Bring the tithe This financial resource, bring that to the storehouse, bring that to the local church, not not the televangelist, giving to them, that's great too. That's not the local storehouse or church. He says, bring that, test me and see. Only place in scripture, God says, test me, try me. And it, it blows our mind because we say, God, how in the world, I'm struggling now, I'm fearful now, I'm in debt now. And I'm, I'm spending all 100% of my money. How can I start to make my way and, and begin to give and work towards that 10% of giving and then above and beyond to, to missions and other things? How can I make it living off of 90% when I can't make it off of 100%? See, as we return back to God, we do that in according with understanding our, our finances and having a plan in place. Tithing shows our priorities. Many individuals... When it comes to God, God gets scraps. God gets our leftovers. We pay our bills, we pay our utilities, we pay this, we pay that. We pay ourselves all all of our, our, our pet items and expenses. And if there's a little bit left over, maybe we save it. And if for some reason there's a handful of dollars left and we have no clue what to do, maybe we'll give it to God. Maybe we'll give it to the, the church. They'll find something to do with that. The tithe is indicating to be a priority. That's a part of our plan. That's a part of our budget. That's, a, that's the very first thing we do. You'll see me each week, unless I forget or Kim forgets, I'm going to come down, I'm going to put my envelope in, I'm going to give. As a, as a pastor here, I'm paid on a Sunday. I'm going to give my tithe today before I put my check in the bank tomorrow. It's first. Right off the bat, I'm going to give to God. And then we're going to have a plan in place. We're going to have a budget in place. Here's where the rest of our finances go. And we're going to make sure we can pay everything we need to and want to out of what's left. It's demonstrating priority. Basic principle is this. We put God first in whatever areas we're wanting him to bless. We say, God, I I want you to bless in my relationships. Man, put God first. Single looking for a a spouse, put God first in all things and pray and believe God's going to lead you to that right person, godly person. Say, God, would you bless in my my job? Well, put God first in your job as you work and as you serve. We say, I want you to bless in my finances and resources. Let's put God first in that as well. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income, and he will fill your barns to overflow. Now, boy, do we like that last part. Again, not everybody today might, not everybody has a barn. Some of you do. Not everybody has a barn, but we sure want something to overflow in our lives. And not not, not the tub, not the sink. We like the overflow of blessings. But it says, 
honor the Lord by giving him the first, the first part. Not the last, not the leftovers, the first part. So we've given you homework. Many of you are not keeping track of finances. We say, begin to keep track. Second part, many of you don't have a written plan or budget. Begin to write something down. Begin to portion out that. Here's a third step. It's radical, I know. Follow God's word and begin to tithe. Track your finances, begin to budget, and set aside a portion for the Lord. Set aside something, maybe little by little you work your way up to that 10%, but begin to give something to God. Give something to God first rather than last. Place him first and little by little continue to get to that place where you're able to faithfully return a tenth to him because you've understood where your finances are and you've portioned things out appropriately. That's some challenging homework. Our last two, we're gonna finish rather quickly. Number four, not just do we keep good records, not just do we plan our spending and and tithe and, and return back to the Lord, but number four, save for the future. Save for the future. Proverbs 21, 20 says, the wise man saves for the future. See, personally, we were doing awesome in our tithing. We didn't keep track. We didn't have good records. We didn't have a written budget. We didn't have any any kind of savings for the future, any kinds of retirement, any kind of emergency funds. We just had a bank account and hoped that that was all right. Save for the future. Bible tells us it's a mark of wisdom to think and plan and save for the future. We know it, but we tend not to. We struggle with coveting, we struggle with comparison, we struggle with competing, and it's so much much more fun to buy stuff now rather than put money away for later. How many of you have found that something has gone wrong, something has broken, something has needed fixing or replacing or doctor visit or whatever the case might be, and there's no money set aside for emergencies? There's no money that's set aside, hopefully, to to try to grow little by little for the future, whether that's for children's college funds or retirement funds or planning or investing for the future. There's just no thought of that. So much we, we want what everybody else has and then more that we're willing to have more stuff now at the expense of having something when we need it later. So one of the things that we did after we tracked our expenses and put a budget in place, we'd always been giving faithfully. We continued giving. In fact, giving more. We started to fund an emergency fund. Now, Dave Ramsey would say, you need $1,000. A separate fund, you set it aside, and it's there for emergencies. An emergency is not that we need pizza tonight, but I don't have enough cash, and I don't have enough in the, in the checking account, so I'm going to dip into my emergency fund. Emergency is a true emergency. If something breaks down with the car, if something breaks in the home, if something needs replacing, but you've got this money saved up in a bank, it does two things. You can draw from that and fix what needs fixing. And number two, it saves you the stress and the worry and the freaking out over how am I going to pay for what needs done? Because when something breaks, it's a double emergency, right? Not only does somebody get hurt, but now we got to pay for somebody who got hurt. Not only does this thing not work, but now we got to pay for this thing that doesn't work. Emergency fund takes care of both of those. So that's one simple aspect of saving. But beyond that, 
He would say, we save for an emergency fund. We would save up for some big purchases. Maybe save up for a vehicle or save up for a furniture or save up for a trip or for a vacation. Many times people would do as we did when we got into that home and put our furniture on the credit card, put our dog on the credit card. I'm not sure how long it was before we truly owned buttons. But we, we buy stuff and figure out later how we're going to pay for it. The wiser plan would have been, let's save up the money, and we've got the money, we can go buy the furniture, boom. Pay it cash, we buy it, all taken care of. We're not going to get hit with extra fees, charges, interest, because we couldn't pay for it up front. Saving helps us with emergency fund, with big purchases, and then planning for the future. Whether that's a college fund, whether that's a retirement fund, whether that's just for for down the road planning and saving, there should be a a portion of finances going towards that. Uh, John Rockefeller was the uh, wealthy individual a number of generations ago. He was asked how he made his money. He called it the 10-10-80 principle. He said, all my life, the first 10% I tithe to God. The second 10%, I'd pay myself and put it into savings, and then I lift off of 80%. 10% to God, 10% to savings, lived off 80. Pretty decent words of encouragement from a, an individual in the past. Sounds a lot like what God's word has said, save. So we keep good records, we plan out our spending, we give and return back to God in our tithe, save for the future. And here's an important fifth thing. Enjoy what we have. We covered a a lot of this last week when we talked about contentment and and dissatisfaction. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, It's better to be satisfied with what you have than always be wanting something more. That applies to us. We tend to always be wanting something more. I don't have what he has or what she has. Or I might have the same thing, but theirs is better, nicer, newer. It's the the brand new model. I don't have that model. If we learn more of contentment, we learn more to enjoy what we have, we tend to not do as much of that impulse buying and get ourselves into trouble financially. Enjoyment, contentment. Hebrews 13, five, it's it's a powerful verse. Honestly, it's a verse I've quoted a a number of times in the last year in various messages. Here's, Here's what I've quoted though because here's what it says. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And that's true, isn't it? This would be a good time for an amen, just just saying. But let me read to you the entire verse. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We're quick to quote the last portion. God's promised he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Amen. That's true. Don't forget about the first verse. Keeping ourselves free of, not not free of money. We need money to function. Free of the love of money and to be content with what we have. Now, these are five powerful principles. Do they work? You bet. Are they easy to follow? Not necessarily. There's probably going to be some hard decisions and some some challenges if you are really willing and able to do some of the homework and track your expenses, put a plan together, begin to give to God, put some savings in place, and learn more contentment. It's going to be a challenge. 
You might be going without some things you normally have. And we did some of that. Not just in the single to married life with the cable TV, but as we began tracking our expenses, as we began putting a budget together, as we continued giving and increased our giving to the Lord, we followed a set plan. And we said no to some things we previously had been saying yes to. Or we decreased the amount of yes that we were saying. The fact of the matter is, we paid off those thousands of dollars of credit card. The fact of the matter is, we paid off the thousands of dollars of that vehicle. The fact of the matter is, we began establishing an emergency fund, a savings account for those emergencies. The fact of the matter is, we began setting aside retirement account, savings accounts for the future that we had not done yet. We're in a much, much better place financially today than 10 to 12 years ago. It's putting these principles, not my principles, I didn't come up with these things, God's word, putting them into effect. Here's the thing though, we really need all of them working together. We can't just kind of pick and choose. Of these five, we were doing really good with the one or two. Faithful to tithe, pretty content with what we have, although we kept kind of maybe searching for more and more of what we had. Didn't track any finances, didn't have a plan didn't have savings. So two out of five, and we were in some pretty serious financial shape. If you're in debt, and chances are good based on our statistics, there's a bunch of you in here that are, or worried about, nervous about, anxious about, can't make ends meet, struggling, difficulties. If that's you, I encourage you, with God's help, to follow his word and his principles. This isn't the Pastor Mark and Kim principles, We've followed what's in here. I'm here to tell you it might not be easy, but I'm here to tell you that God's plan, God's principles for handling finances will work if we faithfully and consistently put them into practice. What do we need to do? Keep good records, plan our spending, tithe and return back to the Lord 10%, save for the future, and enjoy what we have.